we've kind of created what is akin to the CubeSat of the stratosphere. We have precisely placeable stratospheric balloons that can level out at a fixed altitude really high up in the sky and carry high resolution sensors. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. That voice you heard right at the start, that was Andrew Antonio. He is the co-founder of Urban Sky and today on the podcast we're going to be talking about balloons, stratospheric balloons and how they can be used as a platform for Earth observation sensors. Hi Andrew, welcome to the podcast. You are the CEO of a company called Urban Sky and today we're going to be talking about what you're doing. It's a little bit different, I'm not going to ruin the surprise for people right now but it's got something to do with Earth observation. So maybe you could just take the time to Introduce yourself to the audience and, and tell us what Urban Sky is as a company, what, what, what it's trying to do. Yeah. Hey, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Big fan of your podcast. So excited to be here. Uh, yeah. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Urban Sky. We are a startup that's been around for almost three years now. And we essentially develop really novel, lightweight stratospheric flight vehicles that carry high resolution sensors to do remote sensing from very high up, so not as high as satellites, we're beneath satellites, but quite, quite higher than commercial aircraft and typical you know, human-tended remote sensing vehicles. So that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. Okay, so flight vehicles. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, so these are actually stratospheric balloons. So to kind of get into the, the nitty-gritty of it, we've invented what we call a micro-balloon. So if you've ever seen a stratospheric balloon, you may have heard of these little latex weather balloons that go up and collect a lot of upper atmospheric data and uh, the opposite end of the spectrum from those small latex weather balloons are these massive like four to five hundred foot tall stratospheric balloons that can carry really large payloads very high into the sky but there's really nothing in between and there's not a lot of functionality with those small weather balloons in terms of directing them and being able to carry high resolution sensors so We've kind of created what is akin to the CubeSat of the stratosphere. We have precisely placeable stratospheric balloons that can level out at a fixed altitude really high up in the sky and carry high resolution sensors to collect data. So these are really small stratospheric balloons that can launch out of the back of a pickup truck in just a few minutes, but they get you up to that high vantage point of the stratosphere where you get kind of the combined advantages of aircraft and satellites, right? Which is from a satellite perspective, broad area coverage, being able to see very far off angle and large distances, but also a lot closer to the ground than a satellite. So you can see a much higher resolution than a satellite. So that's, that's what we're building. It's a stratospheric micro balloon that, that we hope will enable really high resolution, broad area, low cost aerial imagery collection. So there's an incredible amount to unpack there. And I've got a bunch of questions for you around this platform. I got to ask before before we go there. You've been doing this for three years. How do you come up with the idea of of building a balloon that's going to be used as a remote sensing platform? Yeah, well, so my co-founder Jared Leidick and I. It's it's a really fun story. Actually, we stumbled into it in a really unique way. So I met my co-founder on a project called Stratex. A lot of people may not have heard of that specific project, but you may remember years and years ago, somebody named Felix Baumgartner jumped from a stratospheric balloon at the edge of space in a pressurized space capsule. Had you heard of that, Daniel? Do you remember seeing that, that project? Yeah, 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 I do actually. Yeah, that was really fun. And then, uh, so Project Stratex actually 
beat that altitude record. So my co-founder, Jared Leidick, worked on a project. He was actually the lead spacesuit designer and, and operations lead for Project Stratex, which took the former SVP of knowledge at Google, Alan Eustace, to 136,000 feet under a stratospheric balloon. And then he jumped back down to earth from that altitude and he broke the world record for the highest space dive. So that was kind of our introduction. We, you know, Alan came to a company that got Jared and I involved in breaking this altitude record and doing some really cool engineering. Highly suggest everybody go check that out. There's a cool movie on Netflix called 14 Minutes from Earth about that project that is a documentary. But anyway, that got us, you know, kind of introduced to the stratosphere. And, and once that record was broken and that project ended, Jared and I, my co-founder now at Urban Sky, we went on to be the early part of another stratospheric company called Worldview. You may not have heard of Worldview, but at the time, Worldview was building a space tourism experience from a stratospheric balloon. So we were literally building a pressurized luxury spacecraft that would be hoisted up to 100,000 feet under a massive stratospheric balloon so people could enjoy longer duration in the stratosphere and look out at the curvature of the earth and the blackness of space. Really cool vision and mission with that, that business. But we spent about six years there and, and we really cut our chops learning about stratospheric technology. And that company we grew from, you know, literally being in a garage to being a Series C funded business, tens of millions of dollars raised. And in that process, you know, Jared and I being really good friends and having different areas of functional expertise started to ask the question, well, how would you unlock broad area remote sensing with a stratospheric balloon platform? And and that led us to the idea of Urban Sky was that these really big, massive stratospheric balloons that we were using at Worldview maybe weren't the best solution to do high resolution, really low cost remote sensing. But hey, nobody was kind of applying this idea of miniaturization to stratospheric balloon systems. So we thought, you know, hey, let's give, let's give it a shot. Let's see if this is possible. And so that was really the inkling of the idea was, can we build really small fixed altitude stratospheric balloons that can be stable enough to get non-blurry imagery over broad areas without any gaps. And yeah, the rest is history. I'm sure we'll get into some of the details, but that's the, the quick story. This idea sounds fantastic, right? We, we put cameras on the bottom of balloons and we, we use them as a platform. Awesome idea. You must get some pushback. People saying things like, how are you going to control it? How are you going to make sure it does have a stable altitude that it hits a ceiling and stays there so we can capture imagery from a stable platform at a known height. How do you make sure you're going to cover the area? Can you talk us through some of these things? Yeah, it's really cool, actually. So uh, we had seen a lot of attempts with those bigger stratospheric balloon systems to try to steer a balloon. And so that is possible. The way you do that is you would try to increase and decrease the altitude of the balloon to get into different wind layers, actually, to kind of sail the balloon. It's more akin to sailing. You try to get into certain wind currents and steer the system. But that is incredibly difficult. And a lot of times of the year, you don't get the right steering wind directions that you need to put that system where you want it to be, like over a city like Denver, for example, where we're, where we're based. So we said, let's simplify the system. Instead of trying to steer it and go up and down in altitude, if we can make it small enough that we can launch literally out of the back of a pickup truck, so from a mobile platform, then we can just choose our launch point. So instead of being stuck to this, you know, a fixed airport or spaceport, we were literally using spaceports for the really big balloons back in the day. 
instead of having to have this massive launch infrastructure, we can just self-contain everything into the bed of a pickup truck. Then if we pick our launch point and predict where the winds will go from that launch point within one day, then we can precisely place that balloon over the area of interest that we want to sense. And this was probably the, one of the number one things that a lot of people didn't believe was possible when we first started the company, this idea that you know, we could accurately predict a flight path for, you know, it's called a six hour stratospheric flight mission, and then hit that flight path on the head. People didn't think that was possible, right? Because if you go out and if you just visualize this, if you're in the back of a pickup truck and you let go of a balloon, 300 kilometers later, we can tell you exactly where it's going to be. That seems kind of silly, but it's true. You can actually do that. And we've developed a lot of custom flight prediction software that lets us do that. So again, kind of in short, instead of steering these balloons, we just have a small mobile launch vehicle and a small balloon that allows us to pick our launch point and that launch point allows us to predict where it will go. Okay. So I've got a couple of questions here. Steering a balloon or picking a, the, the correct launch point, And you talked about a, a flight path. When we say flight path, you mean making sure the balloon is over the target area at a certain height and traveling in a, a certain direction. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So we pick our flight path based on the areas that we want to collect data above. So again, let's take Denver as an example. We'd say we want to image Denver. We'll run some flight prediction modeling. Our software will output. This is where you need to launch the balloon from. And again, because we're so high up in the stratosphere, we do have a decent room for margin of error there. So we image with about a 20 to 22 kilometer swath on the ground from our altitude. And we fly typically somewhere between 60 to 70,000 feet above the earth. So if we're off by one or two kilometers from our flight path, that doesn't really matter. We're still going to image the majority of the area that we were intending to image. And then ultimately, you know, the other aspect of this is you fly more than one balloon, right? So that, that launch process with one of these mobile platforms, I can't emphasize this enough. It, you know, compared to traditional big balloons, it would take hours to launch traditional massive stratospheric balloon. Ours takes about 10 minutes. So if you want more coverage than just 20 or, or 22 kilometer swath on the ground, that same truck that deployed one balloon can drive a little further down the road and deploy another. So we can get much larger swaths with multiple balloons. Okay, so you, you've developed some software. You say, I want to image Denver, draw a polygon or something like that on a map over Denver. The system calculates where you need to launch the balloon, and then it'll fly over the area at a certain height. And that's the bit I'm interested in. How do you make sure it's imaging at a stable height across the entire area of, of interest? Great question. So we use what's called a zero pressure stratospheric balloon. So this is a, a really unique type of balloon design that essentially has vents at the bottom of the balloon and a fixed volume and shape of the balloon. And when we fill helium into the balloon at the launch site, you know, we're filling a fixed and known amount of helium into that, into that balloon. And when we let it go, because of the constrained volume of the balloon and the vents at the bottom, it will get to a target altitude and then vent out any excess gas and that actually produces a very stable flight. So again, take, for example, it'll fly up to six, about 60, 65,000 feet. It'll level out and it'll stop ascending and descending and it'll find equilibrium in the stratosphere. So that was another you know, big risk of the company when we first started was with these smaller balloons, can, can they be stable enough in that configuration to get good imagery? 
And the answer that we learned over the last couple of years was yes, uh, they're incredibly stable. This, this system works really well. I don't want to make it seem like we invented zero pressure balloons. They've been around for decades and decades, but we did create a novel design. So we, we improved on some, some different types of stratospheric balloon envelope designs to get a unique shape that is really critical to stability for our sensors. And so we have actually gotten a patent on the design of the balloon, but the sort of the zero pressure method of a balloon has been around for a long time. And so, so this might be a very naive question here, but so we're, we've reached our stable imaging height, we've crossed the area of interest, we've collected the data. How do we get the balloon back again? Yeah, great question. That's, that's really important because we don't downlink any data. So we're not bringing data down in real time. So we can command the termination of the system. It's actually really cool. So via SATCOM, we're able to send commands to the balloon throughout the whole duration of the mission. Not only can we control the camera, turn it on, turn it off, rotate it, do what we need, but we terminate it. So that is uh, another really cool aspect of what we've invented. We actually have a, a patent on our termination system, and it allows us to pretty precisely bring the balloon back down to the ground at a known location. So once we've flown over our area of interest, collected all the data we wanted to get, filled up the data card, we just send a command via satellite that speaks back down to our balloon in the stratosphere. It initiates this termination sequence and the balloon starts to fall down to the ground with the payload beneath it and a parachute above it. So the whole system comes down together in one piece and it lands on the ground in a remote area that's well outside of the area that we were imaging above. This sounds absolutely awesome. I, I would love to see this in action. Can you talk to me about the payload? So we've been talking about imaging. There's, there's some kind of sensor involved. What kind of equipment is the balloon carrying and, and why does it have it? Yeah, the, you know, our vehicle, our platform, the micro balloon is really sensor agnostic. So longer term for this company, we could fly any number of sensors beneath the balloon itself. But right now we're, you know, we're startup, we're pretty early stage. We're just a handful of people working out of a little warehouse. So we're pretty specific about what sensors we're flying first and what we've developed. The first few that we've developed, the main one is an RGB, just three band sensor. So we have a it works out to be about a 10 centimeter GSD RGB sensor from the stratosphere. The second one we fly was, is actually really cool. It's a long wave infrared sensor that we developed under a contract with NASA to do wildfire research. And so that one we're eventually hoping to commercialize for real-time wildfire monitoring. But those are our two main sensors right now. So kind of the typical RGB sensor and long wave infrared. Is there any restrictions or is there any limitations in, in terms of weight that you can carry? Because I'm, I'm wondering if you could just keep on adding sensors onto this platform or if, there, or if the restrictions are around like the space that you have available or the weight that you can carry or the physical size of, of these sensors. Yeah, you hit on a really important topic for a business. So uh, we must carry payloads that are less than six pounds of payload mass under a balloon. And the reason we do that is because in the United States, there's a an FAA regulatory category or regime that is built for this, this category of small latex weather balloons. And as long as you carry less than six pounds of payload, you have uh, more flexibility with operations. So you can launch from more places more regularly. And so we need to kind of stay in that space so that we have more flexibility for our operations to fly. So that has been one of the hardest parts of this business is testing this hypothesis that we could create high resolution sensors and get good data under a six pound payload 
mass limit because it's not all six pounds for the camera. You also have to think about our avionics and the batteries and the things that control the balloon. So everything has to fit within that payload class. Now, I think there are some headwinds in the industry, right? And that's really why we started the business was we, you know, we knew that sensors were getting smaller and things are getting lighter and miniaturizing. And, and so we wanted to get ahead of that and build this platform to be able to take advantage of advancements and sensors as they get smaller and better. But it has been a challenge to build uh, really lightweight, powerful sensors under that, that mass limit. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. So earlier you talked on you talked about the the RGB sensor that you fly, and you also talked about a long wave infrared sensor. Can they be together on the same balloon, or do we need are they flying on separate balloons? Those two sensors fly on separate balloons. In the future, there's an opportunity to do that. You you could create a lower resolution RGB sensor and fly it with an infrared sensor. But again, you know, we're pushing the limit on weight with the RGB sensor because the primary requirement there is resolution. So we're using as much of the mass capacity as we can to get the highest resolution data we can in that one payload package. But for other applications where maybe you only need one meter resolution, it's definitely within the, the space. And we've already done that. So we have a system that couples a one meter RGB with a 3.5 meter long wave infrared on that same six pound payload package. I realize that you're, you've been doing this for three years, so you're not like a fully mature company yet. You use the term startup when you refer to Urban Sky. So I'm thinking that there's a lot of room for growth here. What do you imagine this looking like in the future? So do you imagine a system where these balloons are just constantly flying around all the time, where you release them on one side of the states and, and pick them up on the other side? Do you imagine some sort of tasking structure? You know, so I can say, I'm really interested in this area sit at home and draw a polygon on a map and someone collects the, the data. Like, what, what, what is the bigger vision for this? Yeah, you, you, know, you hit on a couple of really good options for the business model. And that's pr- maybe the best way to frame it is, is you know, what, is the cus- what are customers interested in? So what we want to create from an innovation perspective in this space is really high resolution, frequently updated, really low cost aerial imagery initially. And do that nationwide. So we want to cover... greater than 80% of the population in the United States or economic areas of interest in the United States first on a monthly cadence. What we're trying to bring to market is this idea of monthly refresh sub 10 centimeter GSD, three band aerial imagery. And we think that'll be pretty powerful for the market, right? Because, you know, at best right now, a lot of these traditional aircraft providers and remote sensing companies get imagery collected maybe every three months in, in, a, in a handful of areas around the country, but more often every six months to once a year. So we want to create this, this cadence of higher resolution, fresh data, and then scale it across the country and eventually scale it across the world. And then, you know, kind of like we talked about with the sensors, once we're doing that in, in three band RGB, it's very easy for us once that infrastructure is established nationwide to add additional sensors and just feed them into the mix. But yeah, like you said, I think, you know, we early stage as a startup, we're definitely interested in, you know, folks that are that are interested in getting tasked imagery from our company. But longer term, we want to collect at that cadence and allow people to come in and and access our catalog and archive of imagery, just like you said, you know, kind of data as a service, draw a polygon, pull in the data that you want, or coming up with unique creative business models like working with companies that only want to pay for, you know, in the insurance space, for example, you know, a thousand commercial properties in this one area. Well, 
pay per building or something like that. So we're open to creative business model ideas, but the, the goal for the company is to scale nationwide at a certain cadence and resolution. Okay, so if I had to simplify things a little bit, it sounds like the goal of the the company is obviously cheap data at a high frequency and at a nationwide scale. So I think a lot of people will listen listening to this podcast will think, great, more data, more better. But what will this make possible? Like, who who is asking for more data, and who is asking for this kind of frequency? Yeah, so you know, a lot of the, the the main early customers that we have that are looking for higher resolution, fresher imagery in the U.S. are some of the typical ones you could think of, right? Like the insurance space, I mentioned that there are a lot of really interesting use cases that become available when you have monthly refresh data. You know, in the insurance world, you have underwriting on one side of the house and claims processing on the other. So, on the underwriting side, being able to have a fresher picture of the planet helps a lot. So you can see, you know, if we're going to underwrite this this new building or we want to do a renewal for this property, well, looking at a six-month-old aerial image isn't that valuable. But if it was, you know, three weeks old, there's a lot more value. It's a truer picture of of the state of the world. And of course, on the claim side with insurance, you know, a lot of interest goes into major disaster events right now. And that's a pretty well-served market. So if there's a big flood or a hurricane, you know, there are a lot of assets flying over those affected areas to to try to help get the imagery to get people back on their feet quicker in communities. But a lot of these kind of what I would say like mid tier environmental disasters or scenarios are are ignored in the market. So if there's a hailstorm, for example, in Denver, you know, companies aren't deploying to go see what the damage looked like from that storm. But with a much lower cost imaging platform, that application becomes available. So we can serve some of those mid tier applications in that claim space. And then, you know, the other ones like vegetation monitoring for utilities, being able to, to look on a monthly cadence and see, you know, how vegetation is changing and encroaching on different assets and utilities becomes really valuable. And we've had a lot of interest in that space, but I'm more excited about the applications that no one is thinking of or, or doing, right? Like what, what could be possible down the line. And, and, and that's what we hope to inspire other people in the industry to think about. Like if you had monthly high resolution sub 10 centimeter at a really low cost, like what could you do with that data? And those are the ones that excite me the most. Yeah, I, I can completely understand that. And I, I think sometimes too, like you almost have to make it available, right? Like here it is and then find out what people are, are going to do with it. Right. It's a pretty hard task to guess what people, where, where people's imagination might take them. So again, I think this sounds fantastic what you're building. I love the idea, much harder than I actually imagined it would be You know, when you talk through some of the challenges that you're facing and solving along the way. It sounds like a difficult challenge. What do people say when you, when you tell them what you're building or what you're trying to do? What, what kinds of things do they push back on? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, I, like the typical startup you know, message, people thought we were crazy when we, when we first wanted to do this, the idea that you could stabilize a balloon at altitude, get 10 centimeter imagery from a really small payload package and do that at a cost that would drastically beat any other platform was, you know, there were so many variables in that chain that it'd be really difficult to do all those. Like, so a lot of our investors are deep tech investors, they would, they would refer to themselves as, and, and the, you know, the whole theme or motto in deep tech is we invest in really hard things to do because if you can do them, they're really unique and they're hard to replicate. So, so that's kind of the, the niche that we're in is 
yeah, you know, there are these three or five major risks to our business, but if we can solve them, they'll be really hard to duplicate longer term. And, and we've solved a lot of them already. So yeah, when we, you know, but if you're sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner or, or having a coffee with somebody and you tell them about the idea, you get wide eyes and funny questions. And it's just this idea of the stratosphere in general is, is really foreign to people. I mean, if you think about what's flying in the stratosphere right now, as we're talking, there's effectively nothing up there. You know, there's occasional military spy plane and there are some weather balloons that fly up there, but we see it as a completely untapped layer of Earth's atmosphere. There's a ton of commerce that's happening in orbit and space, and there's a ton of commerce that's happening lower altitude in, in traditional airspace. But this layer of the stratosphere has just been ignored. And I don't want to say entirely, right? There's been a lot of really cool projects and scientific things that have been done in the stratosphere, but commercially, it really has yet to be commercialized. So, so that's the, the main thing for us is just you know, letting people know that, hey, not only is this possible, but it's already happening and we're, we're getting a lot of traction already. So I, I really understand the need to focus on, on one thing. And it sounds like you've, you're focused on using this platform to collect imagery. But can you, can you see any other uses for this platform? Maybe like a sending emergency signals, maybe using it as a communications platform, perhaps providing internet to areas that are suffering from some kind of disaster. Can, can you see other uses for the platform itself? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, long-term for us, Urban Sky, 10 years from now, we'd like to be, you know, coin, I'll use the phrase, the SpaceX of the stratosphere. I think the stratosphere in general holds a lot of value for multiple applications. We have been approached about different communications-related applications. And like you said, I think when you're a startup and you've got a, just a, less than 10 people at your company, you have to focus. You can't take on everything. So you know, we, we believe there's a lot of value in some of those other applications, communications in particular, upper atmospheric weather modeling, building much higher precision weather models for any application in that space. But we're pretty focused on remote sensing. I mentioned earlier, and I am really excited about it, so I'll, I'll say it again, but we have leaned into this idea of doing real-time wildfire monitoring. And that's a really interesting application for us that is challenging, but we're taking our infrared sensors and adding an onboard photogrammetry CPU that can process a lot of our infrared data the moment that it's collected and downlink in real time to first responders precise geolocation and temperatures above remote areas where there are wildfires. And we can on the ground paint kind of a called like a hotspot map as the balloon flies over an area. So that's one that we're, we have been asked to enter. A lot of people have come to us and said, this is a really big problem. They don't like to fly traditional aircraft above fires as they're happening because that conflicts with the, the actual aircraft that are fighting the fires. So the fact that we fly a lot higher is a unique value in that, in that specific use case. So that's, I guess, the only other one that we're really leaning into this early. But longer term, yeah, I think the, you know, the opportunity is endless from the stratosphere. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. I think it's an incredibly interesting use case. Also interesting to hear you talk about downlinking data instead of waiting for the balloon to land. So I, I can see a lot of advantages in doing that. So again, you're, you're, a, you're the co-founder of this company. You're a co the co-founder of this startup. What's keeping you awake at night? If I could click my fingers right now and remove the problem that's keeping you awake at night, what would it be? What a good question. That's the one I ask everyone too. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the... The biggest ones are kind of the elephants in the room for the company, which kind of goes back to 
mentioning these high level risks for the business and they're not all solved, right? So I don't want to make it seem like our service and company is done. We're still in an R&D state. And the way that we built this company, we started by listing those elephants, right? What are those first principle risks? The Can you build a really small, stable balloon platform? Can you build really small sensors that capture high resolution data? And can you operationalize this? Is there a way to scale this nation and worldwide in a really low cost way? And so, you know, the ones that keep me up at night now are kind of the next level risks. Those, those foundational ones have, have been answered, but, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but we've been using heavily modified commercial off the shelf sensors up until this point. And now we're moving into a space where we want to create our own custom imaging systems, our own optics and build even higher resolution data. So this idea of building better imaging systems under that six pound payload mass is still something that keeps my, myself and my co-founder and CTO Jared up uh, at night. But yeah, it's, you know, when, when you're, when you're running a small company, it's like the buck stops with, with you. And so every little problem keeps you up at night is the reality. So you mentioned scale a couple of times there when, when you were talking about that. I'm wondering, could you imagine this scaling to the point where this is available to everyone? So I could go to you know, whatever shop and buy one of these systems in the same way I can buy a drone and, and use it to capture data. Could you imagine that being like one of the possible endpoints for, for Urban Sky? It could be. I think it's within the solution space. It's not our plan. We don't intend to sell the systems because you have to couple them with you know, operations training and flight planning. And so it's a little bit more complex. Now, that being said, Daniel, if you came out to Denver, I could probably teach you how to, to launch one of these systems within two or three hours. They're fairly simple, but we would prefer to operate the vehicles initially, at least for the first you know, three to five years as we scale the company and then explore that as a different use case. In the wildfire space, we have been asked adamantly if we could just give these systems to firefighters to launch themselves. And we are leaning into that. That, that, would, that is an interesting application and business model for us in that space because we'd have the ability to to train uh in a very dedicated way but yeah we intend to operationalize the the main imaging operation ourselves well if i if i come to to denver i expect a demonstration i would love to see this in action i'd love to see this in the wild <laughs> we'd love to show you andrew th- thank you very much for your time i really enjoyed talking with you I love what you're doing and I, and I wish you all the luck in the world. I really, really hope this works out and I will definitely be following along. Thanks very much for your time. If there's someone's listening and they, they want to reach out to you and find out more or ask you questions or just continue this conversation, where, where can they go to do that? Yes, you can check us out, www.urbansky.com. You can email me directly. I'm just andrew at urbansky.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at urbanskyimaging. And yeah, any, any way that you could traditionally get to us, feel free to reach out. We love talking to folks and brainstorming new ideas. And yes, we'd love to hear from anyone. And I also just want to say thank you, Daniel. This has been a really awesome opportunity. Big fan of the podcast and would love to come back on and, and check in with you maybe in six months or so and let you know where we're at. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should do that. Let's, let's, let's talk about that off here. Great. Sounds, sounds good. Thanks, Daniel. Cheers. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Andrew. Um, personally, I found it really interesting. Like, so balloons as a Earth observation platform, brilliant idea, interesting concept. I really hope it works out for them. 
go along to urbansky.com if you want to find out more there'll be links to where you can catch up with with andrew in the show notes of this episode just a couple of side notes here so andrew during the the interview mentioned a a documentary called 14 minutes from earth so this is someone being lifted up in a stratospheric balloon and then you know free falling back to earth (laughs) it looks pretty amazing from what i've seen it might be worth checking out I believe Andrew talked about working at a company called Worldview. So if you go along to worldview.space, um, so the, the catch line here, the tagline here is making space tourism more affordable. And for only 50000 per seat, you can, oh, oh with, with flexible finance, financing options, you can reserve your seat today. Be lifted up in a massive balloon up into the stratosphere. $50,000, people. It's a bargain. And I also wanted to point you towards a, a project called Loon. So L-O-O-N. I believe this was a, a Google project. The idea here was to expand internet connectivity with stratospheric balloons. So this project looks a lot like it's been cancelled. But if you're interested, uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So I think I've got time to point you towards one more resource. And this is a company that uh, Andrew mentioned to me off here. It's a company called Zero to Infinity. And it looks like this company is trying to use stratospheric balloons as a launching platform for satellites so again i'll put a link to all of these things in the show notes of this episode so you can check them out if you're interested okay that's it for me that's it for another episode of the mapscaping podcast thank you so much for tuning in again this week it's much appreciated as always you're more than welcome to reach out to me if you have questions comments um suggestions uh, i would love to hear them you can catch up with me on at twitter at mapscaping or there will be a link to my LinkedIn account in the show notes. So check it out. I would love to hear from you. Okay, we'll talk again next week. Bye.